listening to the Testudo Times Podcast, the official podcast of SB Nation's Maryland Terrapins Colossus. The Testudo Times Podcast, the 2018-19 Basketball Season Preview Edition. Boy, it's nice to hear that intro again after about a few podcasts where we didn't have that. Because uh, this is a happy podcast, Thomas. It's not like the last two. Happy for now, absolutely. Happy until you realize that Maryland was mentioned in an FBI investigation into college basketball corruption and one of the assistants is suspended for a rules violation already. Isn't it great? But other than that... Other than that, everything's great. Everything's very yeah. exciting in Maryland basketball world. Uh, Lamar is also here. Uh, are, we, are we allowed to be excited about Maryland basketball, or is it relative at this point because everything else is so bad? Oh, now is definitely the time to be excited about Maryland basketball. Uh, it's definitely a caution excitement, but there's reason for excitement. Well, I'm excited, and then I'll go and read like the message boards in our comments, and then I'll not be excited again. Because then I'll say, hey, hey, Mark, you'll be the same sort of comments you always hear. Why can't Maryland's teams play against his own defense, et cetera, et cetera? And then you'll realize it's basketball season in College Park again. Uh, I do want to say we'll probably have a podcast later in the week where we'll get to more football-related things. Uh, there's still a lot that we want to get to, and non-revenue sports things as well. But for now, we got to focus on basketball because the season, by the time you're listening to this, is either starting today or will be starting very soon. And... It's an interesting season, Thomas. In many ways, it's kind of like what we were at four years ago when Mark Turgeon was under a lot of pressure to make the NCAA tournament. And a lot of the talk was, is Mark Turgeon going to keep his job? And there were a lot of you young players that were being heavily relied on to be successful. In many ways, it's kind of like that this year, although in many ways, there's more optimism this year than there was like four years ago or even two years ago. Yeah, I think a lot of that is the fact that Maryland has had, you know, recent success. Last year was obviously a disappointment for, you know, a lot of people in College Park. Um, you know, and the team has been very open about that. Um, you know, there wasn't that sort of recent success to, to go off of that year, especially. And also this year's freshmen are, you know, really highly recruited. There's six of them. It's the number seven class in the country, top class in the Big Ten. And a lot of, I feel like there are still more known quantities this year than there were that season for some reason. It's probably true. I mean, we didn't expect Bella Trimble to do what he ended up doing, of course. And in many ways, Lamar, I think this season's kind of more like the 2016-17 season when they had such a good young group of freshmen and Cowan and Herter and Jackson. This year, it's kind of similar to that. But with... The same sort of like, well, if it goes bad, then we start to have to hear about Mark Turgeon's job security again like we did four years ago when Maryland really surprised everyone. It was much better than they were. The last, those two seasons, I think, in many ways, the outcomes would be pretty good for most Maryland fans, exceeding all expectations. And there's a good possibility, I think, when you just talk to the team and you experience everything that's been going on in the lead up to the season, that they're thinking, you know what, that's not just a possibility. It could easily be reality. Yeah, uh, I agree. Those are the two most apt comparisons. Uh, and yeah, also to an degree, it's, this team is more similar to that 2016 team. Uh, but expectations are a little higher, and somehow I still feel like they're going to exceed them. Uh, because when you bring in like the number seven class in the nation, uh, it's something like the freshmen have talked about. Is like it's just a number. It's like we we still have to produce, but like at the same time, you look at what 
like those numbers are not necessarily an indicator of talent, but they're an indicator of like perceived talent. And with Smith, Wiggins, uh, Jalen Smith, Aaron Wiggins, and like Eric Ayala, they live up to the hype. You would hope they would live up to the hype because the freshman class two years ago certainly more than did. And they've recruited really well here. Not all of the recruits panned out the way they would have hoped for, but more there have been more hits than misses. And I want to talk first, Thomas, as we get to starting the season, because last year, of course, was such a, in many ways, a disaster relative to Maryland standards. It wasn't really that terrible when you think about it, but with injuries and with the lack of depth and putting players into positions where they weren't really able to succeed, everything from the last couple of years just kind of came crashing down a little bit. And, well, it wasn't great. It obviously, you know, we're not talking they finished under 500. But that was not what anybody was hoping for, and that's not what anybody thought was going to happen. And since they joined the Big Ten, they had made double buys every single year. But now we look at this team, and they lost a very important piece in Kevin Herter. And yet, even with that, and with all the movement in and out of the program, there's more optimism about this team coming not just, I think, from the outside, but also from Mark Turgeon and the players than I've seen in the time following Maryland basketball. Yeah, it's been it's been an interesting sort of process, I guess. You know, from all through last season, like Maryland in, you know, Ken Palm was like a fringe, you know, where a fringe tournament team would be. And the results just never matched up. Maryland couldn't win close games. They couldn't win road games. And that adds up because they, they kept losing games they had a chance to win. And and so, you know, that's kind of the taste that, that was left in everyone's mouth. And on top of that, you know, Justin Jackson leaves, although that was kind of expected. Kevin Herter leaves after, you know, he hadn't really had a breakout season. He had a good sophomore season, but his breakout was in the draft, you know, during the draft process. And... So he, he played his way into being a first rounder and that was that. And so suddenly, you know, Maryland brought in a lot of talent. It's not as deep as a lot of people would have hoped. And there are a lot of real question marks about, about the depth right now. But I think they're still in a better spot than you would, you know, you would think for a team that had what felt like a really bad season. It is kind of odd, though, because remember Maryland, when they were, like, really good, would always overperform Ken Palm. Everybody's like, oh, they're the luckiest team in basketball. They always make their free throws, you know, all these things that happen. And then it kind of got reversed on them last year where they underperformed every single metric you would have expected. And because of that, it's luck swinging back and equaling out. Uh, but, Lamar, I think what's really interesting about it, and I know it's gotten buried in all the football nonsense, but Mark Turgeon – has really been talking about how excited he is. The freshmen have been talking about how excited they are. And you see it in the, the midnight mile thing, the little open practice they had with the students. They're interacting a lot more with the campus community in general. And you would think at a basketball school that would be a given. But in many ways, they were kind of shielded a little bit from not just the press, but from the students in, in recent years. And now they're interacting, and it's made everything feel a lot more loose and excited. It's exactly the way you want to enter a season. Yeah, and it's something that they can't, like, not all the players necessarily have, like, put into words, but they all feel it. Uh, so it's something Aaron Wiggins brought up, and then uh, Anthony Cowan talked about it today as well. I asked him what he thought made this team special, and he brought up the fact that they just gel together. Um, and he, like... He said there, 
the team feels like it's really hungry and that all the freshmen have like come in and like just taken the fact that the team didn't make the tournament last year like as like a chip on their shoulder as well and I think like that's part of it and also when you combine that like mentality at practice and uh and on that part of it with like the interaction with students and like the uh getting further like involved in the community you take like you get like that pride and you feel that like twofold in a way and I think that's like some of what we're seeing with this team I don't want to say that it's directly related to the fact that the other major program at the school is a dumpster fire, but to me, it kind of seems like they're taking it on themselves to be like, we're going to make everyone feel better about being at Maryland or being from Maryland, you know, and that's something that you really can't explain how a group of 18 to 22 year olds can do, especially at a school where the pressure is immense at Maryland, because it really is. But that's something that we, you've kind of noticed, and I think that changed the tenor, because the way last season ended was obviously not great, and the way that the offseason went was not great. Remember, they had a transfer in Schneider Harrard that left randomly, and we forget about that now because the optimism's really there. And I, I don't want to compare this team to the team from four years ago and the team from two years ago too much, but in many ways, those teams are very similar to this one in the fact that they also all had a good core of players returning. And Maryland does have, Thomas, a core of three players that have been through a lot. One for two years, the other two for one season. And Cowan, Marcel, and Fernando. And all of them look like they're about to take a step going forward in this coming season. Anthony Cowan had too much fun on his shoulders last year. He played the most minutes, I think, in college basketball or close to it. And he was dead tired by the end of games because he was expected to do everything and you can't expect somebody even of that caliber to do everything. Daryl Marcel played a lot more than Mark Turgeon wanted him to. Although he's very talented, he was not the finished article. Bruno Fernando also wasn't the finished article, though both of those players showed a ton of flashes. And now we hear all about Thomas, uh, Daryl Marcel having a shot. We hear a lot about Bruno Fernando, how he's rounded out his game. And now Anthony Cowan's one of the top point guards in not just the big 10, but the country. And to that, when you have so many freshmen that are going to need to play in big roles, you need guys who have been there, and Maryland's got three really good players that have been there, and conceivably all could be better than they've been. Yeah, I mean, I think we talk about them as if they've been here for like seven, eight years. Anthony Cowan's in his third season at Maryland. Those other two guys, this is their second season. Like, this is how young this team is, that these are the veterans. Um, you know, but, but Maryland – is, is really going to need all of those guys to take that next step. And it, you know, it's, it's maybe it, a part of it is early season hype, you know, preseason hype, but it seems like, and especially with Marcel's shot, like that's real, like that, that's a real shot. Now I think it'll probably, I don't know what kind of percentage to expect, but I think he's at least an average shooter now, which because last year he was a really important player without having any shot. Mm-hmm. With an average shot, he's a weapon now. And he's a weapon Absolutely. because of where you can play him in the lineup. Last year, Maryland played him, what, basically everywhere except at the five? Now Maryland can play him two, three, and four, and it gives Mark Turgid flexibility in his lineups, which the worst Maryland teams have had no flexibility in their lineups. You knew what you were getting every single time they went on the floor. The best Maryland teams had a lot of flexibility, a lot of interesting lineups that Mark Turgid could put out. And this one has a lot of different combinations, especially because Daryl Mortisell is now a reliable shooter, at least by reliable, like average shooter standards. Yeah, if, if, you know, 
we'll we'll see if this pans out or if he goes through some sort of slump or something. But it, at the moment, it looks good. It looked good in the exhibition. It looked good in practice. It was apparently very good in Italy. So like that's that's enough of a sample, I think. But it's it's still worth saying wait and see to some extent. Um, and, and you know Fernando and Cowan as well. They're still working on you know not only their skill set but sort of just their emotions and the way they approach the game. Both are very emotional guys in kind of different ways. You know, Cowan, they, they talked about body language a lot. And, you know, when he's he's the leader, he's guy people feed off of. You know, he was, you know, kind of slumped shoulders a lot. And Fernando will get too high or too low on himself. And that's the kind of player he is. And that that's what makes him so much fun when he does something great because you know he'll have an incredible reaction to it. But when things are going poorly, that's also something that can can affect you negatively. And so for those guys, it's it's as much sort of reining themselves in and staying composed as it is refining their skill sets. And that's that's something that we kind of forget about in the college game. Yeah, absolutely. And remember, they're still technically kids. They're college students. I mean, whatever you think about amateur athletics, they're still college students. And Lamar, I, I think when we did Anthony Cowan specifically, let's talk about him first. He comes in as Melo Trimble's coming out, and Melo Trimble is legendary status at Maryland for what he did. They're different players, but Anthony Cowan kind of took over the mantle. In last year, he was asked to do too much, and you can see it. The, he was playing what 38 minutes a night. He had no real backup. Maryland had no real options behind him, and he was just playing so much. And you can see, as one of the leaders on that team, you could tell he was just tired most of the time. And Bruno Fernando, you saw the talent. You saw the huge dunks. Who did he dunk on that on that Iowa game? I forget who it was, but he ended someone's life. And the entire was Nicholas Bear. Thank you very much. I can't remember who it was with Iowa. They all they all end up being the same player to me because it's Iowa basketball. Thank you very much, Thomas. Uh, but like that tears Xfinity Center's roof off. And if he does that in a big game, the whole building is going to explode. But, again, he got into foul trouble a lot. There were a lot of things he didn't know yet about the North American game that he's now picked up upon. And when you feel like after an offseason, after playing in Italy, after working all this offseason together, you feel like both of these players, Lamar, have a chance to really take that next step. And if they do, the ceiling for this team goes up a lot higher if Anthony Cowan can become what we think he could be, one of the best point guards in the country, and Bruno Fernando could be the lottery talent we all think he is. Yeah, Anthony, uh, so uh, I'll just address him in order. Uh, Anthony Cowan seems relaxed. He seems like a like everyone has to go through that uh, point in their time where they like just find that confidence in themselves and like their abilities, and it seems like Cowan did, like, he's fully there this summer. Not that, like, he was not confident in his own abilities, but, like, confident in his abilities, his ability to lead, and, like, where he ranks in, like, the hierarchy of players. He's no longer, like, proven it. Now he's just playing. Uh, that's going to be really good for the team, I think. Um, and he's found his, like, voice as a leader. Uh, Thomas already talked about it with the body language. Like, pressed so far. Uh, obviously, they haven't played a real game yet, and it's just been, like, two times. But before in the last couple years, Anthony Cowan's, like, a short talker. He, he'll, there are things he'll, like, go into detail on, but, like, most things, like, are a couple words for an answer. But, uh, he's been more forthcoming and just, like, 
seems like he's ready to be that like voice piece of the team. And it's something you saw Melo embrace fully towards like the end of his embrace more towards the end of his career. Not as much. Melo was always quiet, but it's a like visible change in like how he carries himself off the court as well. So I think that's like going to translate this season as well. And he he looks poised to make another step. Uh, he was giving off real Allen Iverson vibes at Maryland Madness, uh, especially with the headband. And then for Bruno, like like you guys said, it's just about rounding out his game. He said he's not trying to prove anything. He's not trying to show anything. He's just playing. Uh, so with that, he has like a, like you said, he's been playing for a year. He's smarter and he's going to have the ability that he didn't have last year to play with Jalen Smith and give him a real another big forward center type to play off of. Uh, they have like a little high-low thing that might get going. Uh, and they should really be an imposing back line as well. But for Bruno, if he can play controlled and play with that same energy, it's gonna, the sky's the limit. So when you have the core that Maryland has – it offers up a great base with which to build on. And Thomas, the base that is going to be built off of, or going to be built off of, as it really seems like it always is now in college basketball, by freshmen. And Maryland's freshman class is as good as it's ever been, even though they came close to it being better. But I don't think Mark Turge is really going to complain about the big three for the freshmen. In many ways, kind of like Cowan, Herter, and Jackson. It's a different group. Wiggins, Ayala, and Jalen Smith are all very, very intriguing players all players with a ton of potential and Maryland freshmen in recent years have been really, really influential because they've needed to be. And this is another year where Maryland freshmen need to be influential. Uh, we'll start first with Jalen Smith, who a lot of people think has lottery potential, has draft potential. He's from Baltimore. It's interesting when you hear Mark Turgeon talk about Jalen Smith and the kind of play that he could offer Maryland this year he's 6'10 forward could play all up and down the three four five and that combination with Bruno Fernando who last year was kind of isolated up there that's a very promising combination as Lamar said that could get going and would add something that Maryland hasn't had really in I don't know since I, I can't even think three years ago maybe when they last had a big group of forwards that could do what this group could do yeah well I mean the the Robert Carter Diamond Stone Jake Lehman group was I mean, it was kind of its own thing. I mean, Smith and Fernando as a duo might be more versatile than that group. Um, there's just not as much depth as, as that team kind of had. But Smith is kind of an interesting case because he is getting some, like, draft hype, some lottery hype. He's got this really well-rounded offensive game. But the whole thing with him is, like, his body is still growing into his game. It's not the other way around like a lot of guys have. He had to put on 20 pounds of muscle this summer to become 6'10", 215. It's like he, he's been really thin for a while. And, you know, he's still thin. And I, he's still kind of the kind of thin that will be it, – it'll be tough for him to match physically some of the bigger guys in the Big Ten. Um, you know, Nick Ward is the guy who comes to mind who's just a real – sort of beefy muscular We have forward. an idea of what big in the Big Ten is, and it mainly played at Purdue. Uh, not quite the same this year, but like the Big Ten's a physical conference, right? The ACC was a little more finesse. 
Uh, and Maryland, for the last couple of years, have been really guard-oriented. They still will be. But you think about Smith, the versatility now in his game, and the game is all about versatility now. It's amorphous positions, as everybody says. And that's true in the college game, too. And if Jalen Smith can round into what we think he can become, whether it's this year or maybe next year, you're talking a lottery talent with what he has already in his locker, and that's without having played a year of college basketball yet. And that's really impressive. I mean, we're not talking like immediate jump to NBA lottery potential, but that's the potential that many teams would kill to have, and Maryland has it now with somebody. In many ways, it's kind of like Bruno Fernando last year. You could see all the tools, but the finish isn't necessarily there yet. And he's going to play a lot, so he's going to you think perhaps get some of that finish and that polish into his game the more he plays at this level. I mean, Smith's, Smith's offensive game in particular is very much there. It's kind of just about the complete the complete game and being able to be like a big man in the Big Ten. Um, that, that's, that's the one area that gives me a little bit of pause. Um, but I, I think it's still a little while, obviously, before conference games start, except for the ones in December. And... You know, th- there's time to worry about that. I think we'll see a lot of really exciting stuff from from Sticks. Well, the early season schedule is soft until they play Virginia, and that's the first real test, and we'll get to the schedule later. But you'd like to see what he can do against lesser competition and to get his feet wet before the real tests start. And that's, I think, the whole thing with the entirety of the freshman class. And, Lamar, now we go to the backcourt, where, of course, Maryland has had depth issues for years. Their best teams have had depth issues in the backcourt even as this team is still very much guard-oriented, and it still is. The top two guys in uh, Cowan and Morcel are great, and now you add two really high-quality recruits in Wiggins and Ayala behind them to add depth to this team, which means not only does Cowan and Morcel not have to play every single minute, but it offers, again, something different that Maryland can use in its backcourt looks, and for a team, as much as Mark Turgeon wants to be frontcourt oriented, he knows his best players are guards, and that's still the case here. And Wiggins and Ayala have a lot of potential, considering what they bring to the table. And didn't we hear Mark Turgeon say at media day that Ayala is the best passer on the team already? Yeah, he did say that, and he Ayala has done everything he can so far to back that up. Uh, Speaking on the guard depth as a whole, this is a deeper back team in the backcourt than I've seen in my time at Maryland. Uh, like you said, even the good teams recently have had backcourt issues. Uh, this is a team that has two legitimate point guards in both Anthony Cowan and Eric Ayala, and Ayala's the type of guy that can really play either position. Uh, in terms of Wiggins, he's more of a 2-3 two, 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 guy, but he really fits in that role. Kevin Herter left vacant. I'm not saying he's Kevin Herter. He's going to play like him anytime soon. But he really has that mentality, that skill set, and it's going to do the turfs very good early on. And then you also have a guy like Cyril Smith who isn't going... He reminds you of Deion Wiley in a way where uh, he's going to be a little inconsistent early. But he has also shown more effort on the defensive end already early than Deion Wiley had, except for in stints last season. Uh, but, yeah, this is a deeper backcourt team. And then you factor in the, uh, Anthony Cowan taking the bulk of the minutes at the point guard. 
and the ability to run him with Eric Ayala in the sort of two guard system that uh, Melo Trimble and Cowan did, and it's a nice, uh, a nice little uh, built-in development piece for both Ayala and Cowan. So Cowan gets to run more of a off-ball role similar to how Melo Trimble would. Uh, and focus more on scoring while Ayala takes over the passing duties. It's, uh, inter- it's interesting, Thomas, when you look at that, because I, I, in many ways, again, we go back to comparisons. The Cowan-Trimble offense was interesting because Melo Trimble was the primary playmaker when Maryland made the Sweet 16, and then he was the primary scorer, obviously, in 16-17 and allowed Cowan to do a lot of the creative duties. In many ways, it's now Cowan can be the scorer, and they have Ayala who can help create. It's the first time, really, since that team, that they've had two legit point guards. And then you add in the combinations at the two and the three spots that Maryland has. It adds a lot of variety that we all thought they could have, but we haven't really seen it in practice. It's all been in theory. This might be the first team where the in theory about the kind of looks they can have in the backcourt might actually turn out to be facts. Yeah, I mean, and especially last year was the first time we saw Mark Turgeon go small for any sort of extended period of and time. And made Matt Ellen talk ecstatic. If you've listened to this show for many, many years, that was a thing he wanted, and it's the thing we advocated for because it was a different look, and now we saw it. And this year, you could argue the best Maryland lineups are going to look like that. Yes, yeah, a few of them for sure, I think. Um, you know, It's easy to see a lineup with Cowan, Ayala, Marcel Wiggins. Probably Fernando would be the other one. Um or sticks like I, I think that's that's easily a line if you could see and you know no matter what happens there there's a lot of there, there are plenty of options so what do you think we see in terms of how minutes are going to be doled out early in the season because with all these freshmen with all the lineups with all the different possibilities there's a lot that Mark Turgeon has yet to decide and we saw a little bit of it in the preseason scrimmage or friendly or whatever the heck you want to call it uh, but Maryland's schedule is really soft before they play Virginia. I think they've got five or six games before they play that, and that's really the time that Mark Turgeon's going to use to experiment. So if Maryland fans go into Delaware and Navy and whoever else they play that's a scrub that I can't remember the name of, North Carolina a that's it, uh, sorry, what kind of minutes can we expect for some of the freshmen, and how do you think they're going to be doled out? I really don't – I wouldn't expect anyone to – play that much more than 30 except maybe Cowan in those games um if Maryland's winning by 30 in the second half they're not going to play him yeah yeah I mean the whole thing with Maryland's bench it so I mean we've really talked about six guys Sorrell Smith's kind of the seventh guy that we that we've talked about after that it's it's even Bender it's Joshua Tamayich it's Ricky Lindo another one of the freshmen Trace Ramsey, I think, is of those guys the most likely to redshirt. And so if they do redshirt him, that, that you know, that takes another sort of depth piece out. Um, and so, I mean, you just kind of wonder what, what you're looking at from there. And I'm not really sure what the pecking order is. And I don't, like Mark Turgeon, I think, said he doesn't know what the pecking order is between 8 and 11. There's not much of a difference there. And so I think at least in the first few games, you see all of those guys get some minutes. And then whoever makes the most of those minutes, 
you know, gets the rotational minutes against the Virginias and the Loyolas and the other conference games there. And I think it's it's interesting because when we talk about depth, it feels like this team's deeper, but then you realize it might only go 10 deep, if that. It might only be 9 deep. Lamar, and we've seen Maryland fa- fans in recent years be talking about depth all the time, and this team isn't fully formed yet. But the good thing is a lot of these players next year are going to return. You know, a huge chunk of this class is going to be freshmen that you bring back as opposed to, you know, the diamond stones of the world. And I think uh, when you look at where the minutes are going to go, what do you think is the most likely scenario, at least to start? And then what do you think is the ideal scenario for Maryland when they're fully formed? What does the best version of this team look like in terms of minutes? Uh, The likely scenario is you see uh, Cowan, Wiggins, Morcell, Sticks, and Bruno Fernando start the game and each play at least 20 minutes. Eric Ayala and even Benner also probably get around 16 to 20 minutes. And then from Josh, then like you said, these first six games, we're going to see how Joshua to Mike, Ricky Lindo, uh, Reese Mona, even Cyril Smith, how those guys do uh, trace Ramsey. Uh, but again, Lam- Ramsey will likely redshirt, but so I see, I think we'll see those first seven names I mentioned play the bulk of the minutes. Um, and then Mark Turgeon is going to start to see who's like, who does what. So I think the ideal scenario sees at least, and uh, what we might see happen is eight through 11 aren't daily contributors and they show up every now and then, but they're sporadic at best. Uh, but ideally, at least Cyril Smith and either Tomaic and uh, either Tomaic or Lindo are consistent presences and rotational pieces this season, and get the bulk of those minutes. I think even Bender's someone who could be somewhat reliable as a spell for Smith and, and Fernando in some ways. But I mean, yeah, you're asking a lot of Tomaic, who hasn't really proven a ton yet, but he's still a redshirt sophomore. It's one of those players from Mark Churchill that can emerge really late. He could end up being pretty good. Uh, so, we just haven't seen a ton of that yet. So actually, off of that point, uh, I think the most likely substitutions we're going to see is we're not going to see long spells of period without long spells of time without either of Sticks or Fernando on the court. Uh, Mark Turgeon already uh, told us today that Jalen is learning both the power forward and the center position, so he's likely going to play a lot of those five minutes when Fernando's off the court uh, alongside well, even Bender. he's not in foul trouble, because that's still a concern. Uh, yeah, he's going to take his lumps early. He's going to foul early because he's small. He got bullied around a little bit against Lynn, who's a D2 team that had no one near his height because he's – he hasn't like put on like he put on the twenty pounds, but he hasn't utilized it yet. If you know what I mean. Like, you uh, can see Bruno Fernando taking like it, we're talking Michigan State because they're the class of the conference. You can see Fernando taking the tough line front line minutes, and they might quote unquote shield sticks a little bit more just because you know you're gonna get battered around in there when you're playing against Michigan State, when you're playing against Purdue, even when you're playing against Michigan, who's more of a finesse team. You're gonna get hit around a lot and. I think like that's kind of the scenario in which we might see Mark Turgeon try to protect those guys, you know, just in terms of the way they're being deployed. And they'll, they'll put Bruno Fernando out. Like kind of last year, they didn't want to put Fernando out in those minutes because they were worried about him being in foul trouble, right? And I think we could kind of see the same thing with Jalen Smith this year. That makes sense, Lamar? 
Yeah, I, that definitely makes sense, and I definitely think that's something we'll uh, like something we'll see. But at the same time, this is a team where, especially in the front court, they're going to be too thin to really shield uh, sticks from those minutes. So he's going to have to play through getting bullied, and also they gain something. They gain like a really potent offensive weapon when he's on the court. So they're not. A, they're not going to be able to afford to take him off the court in terms of, like, depth, and B, not really in terms of, like, what he brings to the other end of the floor either. So they're going to want him to play as many minutes as he can. But, again, I do think we're going to uh, see a little bit of that where, like, he's going to get in a couple quick early fouls and sit for a while, and especially, again, some of the conference teams, Turgeon will try to shield him a little bit as much as he can. I would expect, Thomas, with with – Smith, because he is probably the most talented out of all the freshmen and has the most potential. He's going to get picked on a little bit in some of these big games, and you might expect there are going to be games where he's just off, and he doesn't look like what we think because he is so raw in many ways, kind of like what happened with Bruno Fernando last year. And I just don't want fans to get on him too much because you've got that talent and the offensive potential is really there. So if Mark Turgeon really wants to go into a big offensive set, you might bring him in. But there are going to be times in really difficult games down the line in conference play and against Virginia's and something of this nature where there are going to be times when he struggles. There's going to be times when all the freshmen struggle. And though we are in an era now in college basketball in which freshmen mean more than they've ever meant, um, even with that said, there's still something that might lack a little bit in terms of sometimes they might have great games, other times they might have games when they're off. And it's who's on and who's off and can the big three, quote-unquote, kind of pick Maryland up when that happens because there are going to be games when they're all playing really well. And if that happens, Maryland's probably going to win a lot of those games. But there are also going to be games where a couple of them are off, and that's something I think that Maryland has to be prepared for. And I think Mark Turge is prepared for it as well because he knows now, having dealt with very freshman-oriented teams in his tenure at Maryland, that there are going to be moments like that. Yeah, I think another thing just to to keep track of is, you know, how many people on the bench can can step up when some of the starters are a little off? And that's sort of the unanswered question with this team at this point. Uh, where do we stand on some of that? I think even Bender, probably outside of the big six, so to speak, is probably the most reliable. Like, he's provided good stretches every single time he's played, but he's had injury issues, and the consistency's not really there. But he's probably the most sure thing out of all of them. Tamayich we've seen in flashes against not great teams that he has potential, but you hope that potential took another step. Uh, and then you've got Sorrell Smith, you've got Ricky Lindo, and in other cases, you said Reese Moto, they're completely unknown quantities, and you don't know who's going to step up. And Maryland probably needs one of them to step up if they're going to have any sort of meaningful depth. And, you know, they don't want it to be a black hole when some of the big players aren't playing, and that could be a problem. We've seen that happen in the past. But in terms of those depth options, I mean, what's the most idealistic and realistic scenarios for those sort of seven through ten players? I mean, I think there's, there's definitely a hope that, that all of them, you know, are guys that church can count on. You know, I th- it, it might take a while for someone like Lindo to – like, Lindo's definitely still growing into his body and trying to figure out – like, he's still growing. I mean, he's listed at 6'8". He's definitely 6'9". When you look at him, because he's not that much shorter than Jalen Smith, who's six. And so, but like, both he and Tamayich are guys who maybe be more of a stretch. But 
you know, for Maryland, like they need centers. They don't have a center. Um, even Bender is kind of like an emergency center, but he's kind of got his own skill set that doesn't really fit that position necessarily. Like he's not a rim protector. He's a good sort of facilitating big man. Um, and so, I mean, that that's kind of the, the curiosity is what do they, what, what does the front court look like off the bench? And I don't, I don't know. Um, Sorrell Smith, I think is definitely going to be a little bit of a hit or miss guy. That's, just seems to be the kind of game he has. We'll see how much Reese Mona is a part of this um, or how much they need him to be a part of it. And so, and then maybe Trace Ramsey plays his way into this and Turgeon decides it's better to play him now. I mean, he, he would be more of a small forward kind of guy, but like, I think there's certainly a possibility that all of them, you know, become viable contributors, but then, you know, it, it's also easy to see, especially after last year. It's easy to what if this is a team that Turgeon only trusts seven guys at the end of the year. I mean, last year Nevada was a pretty good team, and they had seven in their rotation. I mean, I'm not saying this team is Nevada, but, you know, we've seen teams be successful when there is a very small rotation, and we'll see whether Maryland can do that. I mean, the depth issues at that position are somewhat addressed in the future with future recruits, but they don't come until 2019. And that's a question that will be answered then. So now we must focus on the Big Ten itself. And we talked about it a little bit earlier on in the year when we talked about uh, the media days and where Maryland was picked. And Maryland has been picked anywhere from like third to tenth because there is so much that we don't know about this team. And that's fair. I saw Gary Parrish at CBS Sports have them third. In the media poll, they were seventh. Some The guy who wrote it, I think, had them tenth. So they could finish almost anywhere in this wide open Big Ten, which the middle is not great. Uh, There are a lot of teams like Maryland in the middle behind Michigan State and Michigan. So, Thomas, where do you think, now that we've learned a little bit more about this Maryland team, where do you think they stack up in the Big Ten? I mean, to me, the whole Big Ten, other than maybe Michigan State, is sort of in just outside the top 25 level team tier. I mean, and that, that includes teams like Michigan and Purdue who lost a lot but still have some really, really good players returning. Teams like Indiana who, you know, have a couple potential superstars but not a lot of known. Teams like Nebraska, Nebraska and Minnesota who are, re- yeah, who are returning a lot from teams that didn't make the tournament. And so, like, all of those teams kind of – are in this clump and it's it'll be interesting to see who emerges from that and how because i remember do you remember last year when minnesota was like a top 15 team for a few weeks and then everything fell apart minnesota two years ago was a really good team they were a tournament team i think they were a four or five seed they didn't do well in the tournament then last year it completely fell apart it was the same thing with northwestern too like we thought those teams had some great potential and they just collapsed like a bit like a house cards in some ways kind of like what maryland did but on a greater scale. I think there were more expectations. Lamar, what do you think about Maryland vis-a-vis the Big Ten? Uh, yeah, like Thomas said, I think they're dead center of that pack of not typed, not quite top 25 player uh, teams, but should all be in the run for the tournament. Uh, they're clearly a step behind Michigan State, Michigan. Uh, but after that, you can argue that they're right up there with everyone else. Uh, do you know 
people are really high on Purdue. I'm not. I don't see it as much. They, I could get cold taked on this in a couple months. Who knows? But it's Carson Edwards, and then they lost a lot. Um, in terms of Michigan State, they're going to be set. Uh, but even then, Michigan's look in, at who they lost too. I mean, it's not like everyone comes back unscathed. You know. Yeah, no one comes back unscathed, and I think that's why the this year the Big Ten is going to be really wide open. Uh, yeah, I, I Michigan State did lose a lot. I I'm wavering on them as we're speaking about it, uh, but I still think they should be the top of the conference again, uh, and then Michigan should follow close behind. But after that, you can argue that Maryland's in the conversation with anyone else. I mean, Wisconsin brings back Ethan Happ, but what else do they have? I mean, last year they also just lost too much, and just the weight of it kind of collapsed on them. That's kind of the Big Ten in a nutshell. A couple of key returning pieces, a lot of unknowns. Who the heck knows where it could come out in the end? And I think that Maryland, it plays well in that because in many ways, I don't know, Thomas, whether they have a higher ceiling than some of these teams, but their ceiling's high enough where you could easily, again, you could see them finishing third, you could see them finishing tenth. I tend to think because the core is really, really good and as good as the cores of some of these other teams alongside them they have stars I think that's why I'm probably not so much leaning towards the 10 9 10 range but more the 5 6 4 range maybe at best I don't know whether 3 is possible it'd be great if it did happen but obviously I think the top of that expected range of outcomes at least when you look at this team just seems a tiny bit more likely because they have not only the group of players coming back but they had that Italy trip which I don't know how often we're going to say it, but I think we're going to. It's hugely important for this team to build that chemistry, and they can hit the ground running where other teams might not be able to. Yeah, I mean, and I think just the chemistry of it, it's been evident at all the, you know, random events that they've done. You know, the open pre- the open script practice, the midnight mile. Like, this is a close-knit team to an extent that you don't usually see at this stage of the season. Um and normally it's like not even that easy to tell how how close knit a team is. Normally it's something that they like they talk about and you kind of have to just believe it. And maybe you write about it, maybe you don't. But like it's it's clear to see this is a close team, and that'll really help them um, in a lot of their early tests. And I think we'll see if you know the adversity that'll probably it'll come because it's basketball. It's a long season that that stuff happens. It's how they bounce back from that and. I think that'll ultimately determine their ceiling. I think the ceiling is definitely, you know, they could finish. They finished top three in the Big Ten their first three years in the conference before slipping last season. And so I could see them jumping right back up to that mix or, you know, taking, getting like halfway back there. I don't know. It's a wide range of possibilities, but that's what you get when you have to transition so much of the team in and out. Uh, as we've seen. So, Lamar, I want to start now thinking about the schedule. Uh, we'll, the schedule for Maryland is always interesting and at a conference play. Next year, they are apparently playing in the Advocare Classic, which is a real tournament, not the Niceville, Florida tournament or the Cancun Challenge, which they played in one year. Uh, these random, bizarro early season tournaments. This year, Maryland plays in the Maryland Invitational, as in they don't leave the state of Maryland and at a conference play. Uh, their first five games of the season are all cupcakes. Then they play Marshall, who made it to the second round of the tournament last year, but they lost a lot. And those mid-major programs, 
that are coming off big years. It's hard to tell what they're going to be. But then the schedule gets interesting because then they play Virginia. And in many ways, that's the first real test for Maryland because Virginia is probably going to come in with a top 10 ranking. I hope whoever's going to go, the students going, you've got your UMBC jokes ready. They need to be funny. And I bet they will be because Maryland basketball crowds are always entertaining. But that's a game where if Maryland's more competitive with that team than we think, and Virginia always dominates regular season, their tournament is where struggles start to happen. If Maryland can hang with them, then that's a good sign. But I think the really interesting game for me is December 6th at Purdue because one of the things we talked about in recent years is Maryland can't win on the road. Who knows how they're going to play in close games, and it's a team right around them. If they go into Purdue and win that game, then that's a really positive sign for the Terps going forward. Even if they're close in that game with all the freshmen, that'll be the first time they leave the state of Maryland for a game all year. And it'll be the only time they leave the state of Maryland until January 5th. So that game, to me, is one that I'm circling to say, we're going to know a lot more about this team by that game. If they play well then, then we're going to know, well, this team might be something a little bit even better than we might have thought. So, yeah, definitely that Purdue game. But even before that, the first game I'm starting to circle is the is that Marshall game, the one right before Virginia, because that's one of those ones that is easy to overlook. And if you just get caught up on, oh, they're Marshall, you may not, like, you can, you can easily see them come out flat. But Marshall is likely to have, like, one of the nation's top scorers and John Elmore and – then right after that you have Virginia. So it's like that's a stretch you have to get ready for, and that's like a Friday to a Wednesday, so there's a little bit of time in between that. Uh, and then, yeah, you have Penn State at home, and then right afterwards you have Purdue followed by Loyola, Michigan. So that's a rough five-game stretch uh, that I think everyone should keep an eye on. The Loyola-Chicago game is going to be a really interesting game because – the whole talk this offseason is about how uh, no one wants to schedule the Ramblers and Maryland schedule the Ramblers and play them in Baltimore. It's on a two-day turnaround after the Purdue game. Uh, that's going to be probably the most interesting game of Maryland's uh, out of conference. I mean, even though Virginia's going to be a lot of fun because it's a top-10 Virginia team. It's an old ACC rival, and you got those two conference games. Playing the Ramblers is going to be fun because they have no idea how good they're going to be, and you have no idea how Maryland's going to match up against them. And they've got Seton Hall, who is another – difficult dish team but they're transitioning a lot from last year as well it's another tournament team and then they've got conference play uh so thomas now that we get to towards the end of this show where do we think this team ends up in 2018-19 a lot of people think this is a tournament team i think that that's very reasonable to expect they have the talent to do it i don't know how high the ceiling is but i think it's reasonable to think that this team is not like what happened last year they're more like what happened two years ago and if that's the kind of maryland we see that team finished what third in the big 10 had a sixth seed in the ncaa tournament i think most maryland fans are going to be happy with that obviously you'd like to win a game in the tournament but the tournament is a different animal but if that's the ceiling for this team or if that's what they end up getting to i don't think most maryland fans are going to be angry with it no and honestly like i think that's kind of where i where i see it coming um is is that sort of you know maybe six seven seed third or fourth in the big ten maybe like maybe fifth depending on how some of the other things this year go um like they were the three seed two years ago i think it's it's a pretty similar talent level it might not you know it's not as deep all around 
but you know, I think that's kind of the closest I, you know, expectation-wise that I've been, at least of of recent Maryland teams. And I think, you know, say what you will, ceiling-wise, it's kind of hard to say just because, especially if you go off tournament results, which we we remember every year is this total crapshoot. Um, well, also, Maryland but, hasn't won a game in a tournament setting since 2016 when they beat when they beat Hawaii. Because oh, beat, you don't count the third place game of that Niceville tournament. The one that was streaming on YouTube with no announcers. No, I don't count that at all. Thank you very much. Ah, uh, well then. Because um, when you think about it, they haven't won a tournament game, Big Ten or otherwise, since they beat Hawaii in the second round in 2016. They were one and done in the last two ends and the. NCAA tournament in 17 lost to Xavier, and in the last two Big Ten tournaments, they've been one and done. Correct. Uh, it's been a I while. don't know whether that this team is going to be like that other team. Remember that which other means Maryland no team? current Maryland basketball players have won a postseason game. This is true, and that's and that's a difficult thing to do. But remember that Maryland team. Oh, other than even Bender. Bender has okay. Other than even Bender, don't forget about even Bender. Uh, uh, too late. That team, that team was ranked for a while, and that team from two years ago, started the year ranked, didn't well, really last very well that, long well that, ranked. that team was, well, that was a team that started 20 and two, but it was definitely a fluke 20 and two. And so, you know, all the advanced stats, you know, predicted this, this fall to earth. I don't, I don't, you know, I think the overall record, I, I believe that team went 24 and seven in the regular season. Finished yeah, they went 24 and nine. seven and then ended 24 and nine. You're correct. And so, you know, something around that, maybe just just as far as regular season record, I'm thinking 23, 24 wins is reasonable to expect. You know, maybe it really isn't that much of a jump from 19, except it is. It feels like it's not as big of a jump as it actually is. Yes. Because last year they won 19 games, and that's a bad season in Maryland. They won eight conference games. So I think if you can... Maybe add four to that and say twelve and six in conference play, twenty-three wins, and if you go twenty-three and eight, that probably gets you seven, eight, six seed in the NCAA tournament. Lamar, I mean, the first bracketology I saw from Jerry Palm had them as a nine seed in a pod with Duke. By the way, I'm not going to put the fantasy in your head of uh, Bruno Fernando dunking on Zion Williamson, but I am going to do that because the thought's been in my head since I saw that, and I can't get it out of my head now. But in terms of overall expectations, Lamar, you think that's where Maryland fits in to all this? Because I think that's pretty much where they fit in. Yeah, that's about where I have them this year. Is like they're not going to be world beaters, probably not going to contend for a national championship, but they should be in the tournament. They should be uh, near the top of the Big Ten. And 23, 24 wins, again, isn't that far out of the realm of possibility. Uh Mark Turgeon brought it up again today, and like you just said, they won 19 games last year, but it was how they won those 19 and how they lost the 11 that uh, is really what stuck with people. So this is a team that if they can get 23, 24 wins, and if they mix those in with road wins uh, and some close wins, this is a tournament team. In terms of their toughest road games this year, they go to Michigan, they go to Michigan State, uh, they go to Purdue, they go to Wisconsin, but they don't have to go to Indiana. It's nice because Maryland does not play well in that building. 
on uh, some other places they don't actually have to go to. So the road schedule isn't really that bad. And, of course, we know that Maryland is always good at the Xfinity Center. Even taking the horrible Michigan game at the end of last season out of it, uh, Maryland is a really good team at home, and that's a great equalizer. And they need to win road games to get tournament love, and they'll have their chances to win those games. I mean, they also go to Nebraska. You know, Nebraska's going to be decent, but – they get their chances at home, and if they can be competitive and they can win some of these decent road games, one or two of them, it's a tournament team. And I think that most people are going to be okay with those expectations, even if, say, Sticks and Fernando leave after this season. Maryland's still recruiting pretty well, and you can see the positive trajectory for this team. And it certainly feels a lot more positive than most Maryland seasons like this end up feeling. So, Thomas, any last words on this team? Are we going to forget that there's a random home game at Madison Square Garden? Oh right, they have that. Like, I feel like we have Saturday to thing. We have to say this. We have to mention this at some point. <laughs> well, that's a home game technically, yeah. but I mean, let's be honest. They're playing Illinois, and it's part of the Big Ten Super Saturday where they take Madison Square Garden. They have a basketball game at noon, and they have a hockey game at night. I think it should be only with the teams that play hockey, as opposed to having Maryland show up, which makes no sense. But I know why they have Maryland show up at Madison Square Garden because the only place in the universe that Maryland actually travels well to is New York. So at least that game will kind of be like a home game, uh, unlike last year when Maryland, no one really cared about them when they had the Big Ten tournament at Madison Square Garden. That's going to be the weirdest thing when we look back on it in history. What was the Big Ten tournament at Madison Square Garden for? But, I mean, hey, I, I, I almost completely forgot about it because, I mean. The year after being in D.C. Yeah, the year of being in D.C. when it was a Maryland home game and they lost. Jesus. That was bad, right? Lost to Northwestern. That really was real. Anno- really annoying. But I mean, I mean, All right, I think, we, we've talked enough about that. Okay. Uh, I think that, well, the weird Maryland basketball things. I think a lot of people complain a little bit about the out-of-conference schedule, but you can see a scenario in which it's actually pretty good. The only thing about it is they don't leave the state of Maryland. And, and that made, I mean, having that Purdue game is really nice because it breaks up playing every single game in the state of Maryland until January 5th and is a really good gauge of where this team is. And playing Virginia and Loyola Chicago and Marshall and Seton Hall are not as bad as your average Maryland out-of-conference schedule is, which is usually filled with terrible, terrible cupcakes and inflates the record. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, not the kind of out-of-conference schedule that a lot of Maryland fans want, but it's, it's better than it's been. I think that's, I'll say that much. Well, next year, as I said, it looks like they're playing in the Advocare Classic. I don't know who the teams are in that, but that's at, at Disney World, I think. But it's actually a real out-of-conference tournament, which is— Even if I was looking at the list of teams right now, you know, it, that's so far away in college basketball. It is, really but I mean, for, for how the good sake of this argument, I mean, we've all been clamoring, Maryland, please play in Maui, please play somewhere good, and they are at least, in this sense, going to be playing in one of those tournaments. Uh, Lamar, is there anything else on this team that we missed? Oh, one thing I want to point on the record, Jalen Smith is absolutely gone after this year. There's no, like, he's going to put up, if he puts up, like, 15 and 6 while displaying, like, the offensive talent where he can step in, step out, and defend on the other end, he's gone easily in June. Is well, all we said that kind of about Fernando, and then he didn't leave, and then Kevin Herter did. So I don't feel comfortable saying that this is a guarantee. So I mean, It's likely... But yeah, like, and also Smith's offensive game is light years ahead of where Fernando was last year. Like, 
But you Fernando don't think that because still... he's so slight that you might want to say if you play like that a second year in college, then you'll be a top 10 pick for sure. I don't know what the NBA draft looks like in 2019, but I figure it's going to be pretty good. It's and... less heavy on bigs. Yeah, it's light on bigs. It's like, and it's Manute Bowl. It's like Bowl Bowl and like those guys. So it's it's a toss up. It's like, but I, I put it like 60 40 that he's gone. But again, like time. here's the here's the scenario: if he comes back next year, well then all bets are off. It's kind oh, of like, if he comes back next year, he's trying. He's going straight from. He's trying to get the number one the year after. I don't think. Well, has Maryland it, ever had a number one? Okay, yes they have. I'm not. Gonna yeah, talk. I'm not going to go there. Sorry. Uh, I mean, Put respect on both John Lucas and Joe Smith. Uh, I was t- thinking more Joe Smith than John Lucas. John Lucas is untouchable. But anyway. Uh, Regardless of that, I mean, hey, I mean, I wouldn't bother. Maybe you know, you never know, with those kinds of players. How about uh, one more thing to leave you with? And it's a negative thought, and I have to do this because I'm cynical, and I'm sorry about that. Imagine this team with Kevin Herter on it. We're not talking this team fringish tournament team. We're talking really good Big Ten contender team, and it's a shame that we don't see it. But based on the evidence of watching the Atlanta Hawks and Kevin Herter in there recently. He's actually made the right decision, and it's a shame because if he was on this team, then boy, there would have been some very interesting nights in College Park. This team would have easily been in the top 25, and they might have even gotten some top 10 love. But regardless of that, first game is soonish, today or tomorrow, depending on when you're listening to this. It's Delaware, then Navy, North Carolina, A&T, and Hofstra, and Mount St. Mary's the first five games. So you ease into the season nicely before the meat of the schedule starts. We're excited that basketball season is back because it gives us something to be optimistic about. And you know what? After the fall that we've had, I'm happy to be optimistic about something. And even I can't take that away, even with my cynical nature. And I know I've had comments from co-podcast hosts about such a thing. So we will see you then. Remember, stay tuned later this week. We'll have some football and non-rev stuff. But until then, of course, enjoy basketball season. And go Terps.